This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. So the scripture reading for today is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 31. I invite Sister Hui Li to come and read the passage to us. If you prefer to do so, there are hard copy Bibles provided for you on the seats. You may refer to them as we read the passage. Now after Sister Hui Li reads the passage for us, I invite Pastor Andrew to explain this passage to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God Thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God who was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were caught. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness. Holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. This is the word of God. Okay, great to see everybody here today. If、uh, some of you may have noticed these green things on the seats in front of you, they're called Bibles. So we've purchased quite a few of them、uh, because we want to encourage people to be looking at the Bibles in case you don't have any on your.、Uh, Mobile devices. So today we're looking at page one one four four. In case、uh, you want to know where we're at,、uh, so please follow along as we look at God's word together. Okay, let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you so much for you've given us your word, and your word teaches us who you are and how we should live before you. We pray this morning that as we look at one Corinthians. That once again you'll be speaking powerfully into our lives, so that we may be sanctified before you and live lives of holiness. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week I came across this picture in my Logos Bible Study software, and I liked it so much that I actually cut it out and sent it to my son. It's quite a powerful picture, right? Because I think visually it shows how Christians we are called to be different from the world. It's a picture of someone who's walking one way, while the rest of the world is walking another way. It's a picture where we are called as Christians to walk in the light, but then we see that the world actually lives in darkness. But the reality is that it's hard. It's hard for us as Christians to keep living this way, because as we swim against the tide of the world, as the tide of our times, it's difficult because the tide of our culture. Uh, its values, society, and its expectations keep pulling us back to the way of the world. And the danger is, over time, the world seeps into our thinking, into our living, into our behavior, into the life of the church itself. And so, over time, the danger is Christ gets displaced in our lives. Christ gets dethroned from being Lord in our lives, and instead of being distinct from the world. We mirror the world's values and its priorities. So I have a very close relative who became a Christian many years ago.、Uh, he was baptized many years ago. But over the years, my family has recognized that this person actually is living less and less like a Christian, but more and more like the world. And the world and its values sort of like has invaded his life, and he's back to where he was before he became. A Christian. Now, is this you? Is this me? That's a danger, right? Of living in this world, which keeps drawing us back into itself. So today, we need to listen to one Corinthians because it deals with this issue of the world seeping into our lives. 
So today, we began uh, the passage. Before we even read uh, the passage, I had a little short clip about the Dig Deeper Bible Tools. It talks about how it's really important that we ask the question, why? Why is this book written for us before we can understand the what? We need to understand the author's purpose in order to understand what the Bible, this passage says. So what's the problem in the book of 1 Corinthians? Right at the very beginning, in chapter 1, we already see that one of the problems is surfaced. And the problem is one of quarrels, quarrels within the Corinthian church. Paul is told by Cleo's household that there's quarreling among the Christians in Corinth. What I mean by this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Now, during the Paul's day, these were the prominent Christian leaders and teachers of his time. Paul was the apostle who went around the whole of the world being this missionary preacher and teacher. Apollos, he left behind in Corinth after he left to go to other places. And Cephas was Peter, the leader of the apostles back in Jerusalem. Now, these Christian leaders had ministry all over that time and that period, but seemingly there was just something unhealthy happening in the church in Corinth. It didn't seem to be happening in other places, as we can see in other Bible books of the Bible, but the Christians in the church in Corinth were forming factions or parties and pitting one Christian leader against another. Now, when Paul says, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, and I follow Christ, he seems to be quoting. Right? That's why the Bible has these inverted commas, if you can see in your Bible. They're almost like slogans or party catchphrases, you know, like, like, you know, make America great again, you know, that sort of thing, right? So these are like catchphrases which were coming from the church in Corinth, but why was this happening, right? Why were these people having these party tribal loyalties within the church? I think part of it can help us, part of what can help us to understand what was happening is uh, we need to understand a little bit of what's happening in the ancient world of Corinth. Apparently in those days, from what we can understand, the entertainment of that day was like speech-making, oratory. People would come up with their, their wit and their eloquence and their skill in public speaking, and that was like their entertainment of the day, right? The speech-making of that day could be compared, right? The oratory of that day can be compared to our modern phenomena of celebrity music styles, right? They were like the Taylor Swifts of our day, right? Or the the Coldplays or the BTSs of that day. They were like of that stature, I mean, they didn't sing, but they had public speaking. And what was happening then also can be, I guess, a bit analogous to our time. You know, like you have the Swifties who are against the army. Now, if you all don't understand, maybe you're above a certain generation, but the younger people can understand, right? Okay? So, like, you know, the Swifties are the people that follow Taylor Swift. The army is the people that follow the BTS. And, you know, I don't know what Coldplay, what they call themselves, the Coldies. I don't know what, right? But they were all sort of against each other. And it's analogous to the followers of, say, the EPL teams that we have today, right? Like the Arsenal supporters, the Liverpool supporters, and the Manchester United supporters. I think I've covered most of the big clubs, right? But it's... Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, okay. Okay. Don't know, maybe I, I couldn't... I don't want to have so many, I, so many slides for everybody, right? But you can sort of see, if you go to um, an EPL match, or even if you just 
in Singapore, you've never been to EPL match before, there's this huge rivalry between the followers of these different clubs, right? Okay, maybe I'll mention the other clubs like Chelsea and Manchester City, right? And maybe Newcastle and Tottenham, who else, right? Okay. But, um, but you can see, so this was uh, the derby match last week, the big one between, I guess, uh, Tottenham and Arsenal. And you can see, this is the feel, okay? The players are celebrating in the field, but what are the rival supporters doing? They're not even looking at what's happening on the field. They are, they're kind of mocking and taunting and gesturing to each other, right? And in a sense, that's part of the, what happens in the football match, right? Part of the entertainment. It's not just what's happening on the field, but it's how the supporters are so aligned and so tribal that they're actually, I guess, interacting against one another, right? See, they're not even looking at the field, right? The field's one side. They're, they're looking at the, the other supporters up on the, on, the, on, the other, on the other terrace, right? And that seems to be what was happening in the church in Corinth. The church was divided along these, like, celebrity, teacher, tribal loyalties. And this is the why of what Corinth, the, the 1 Corinthians has written about, right? This is why Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, so this is the why, this is the problem, that we understand Paul's purpose, the author's purpose. And so what does he say? Now we can go back to the introduction, right, the beginning of the book, to understand why he says what he says and why he says it the way he says it. He begins by saying, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. You notice here, right at the very beginning, he describes himself in a very peculiar and particular way. If you look at other parts of the Bible which Paul has written, he doesn't necessarily introduce himself this way. He seems to introduce himself this way because he wants to distinguish himself and make himself different from, he's not an ordinary orator or speaker who's come in to the entertainment arena in Corinth. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ, sent by Jesus by the will of God. And so what he's saying is, I guess, God, God's power behind him. It's the words of Jesus, and they need to listen to him, right? It's not entertainment. And so he says to the church in Corinth, of God in Corinth, so he describes them in this way, sanctified in Christ Jesus, right? Again, the church here is not the building, it's the people. And he says that they are sanctified. Sanctified means to be made holy, right? It's a passive word, right? It's like, they have not sanctified themselves or made themselves holy. But God has sanctified them in Jesus Christ. This is a position, a forensic position, a state that they're in because of what God has done, done for them in Jesus. But it doesn't end there because it says they are called to be His holy people. Just as Paul is called to be their apostle, they're called to be His holy people people. That means that it's not enough, if you think of it in terms of a timeline, that they are sanctified in their state or position of holiness before God because Jesus Christ has died for them and made them clean before God. They are called to a lifestyle moving forward to be holy in their life. Now, this is a very important principle that he's trying to get at, right? Because the idea of this sanctified and holy people, or in the ESV translation, saints, means to be set apart from the world, 
to be different from the world. And so what Paul is really saying right from the very beginning is they are set apart holy saints. And so therefore, they're not to have this worldly, celebrity, tribal loyalties within their church because that is the world, right? That's the world of the entertainment arena. That's the world of the stadium. But this is the church, right? And this is God's people. They're set apart, different, holy, and sanctified. Paul goes on then in his thanksgiving. I always want to thank my God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. And then he lists down a whole list of blessings that God has given them. But in verse 9, he also says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, this is the second call, right? The first time they were called into holiness, to be set apart from the world. But here, they're called into fellowship with Jesus, right? So they're called out of the world, into fellowship with Jesus, and into holiness. Now, this idea of being called into fellowship with the Son is of such great unity, right? Of such great strong bonds of relationship that Paul calls them brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. Now, Paul cannot mean this in a blood relation way because obviously he's not related to them. They don't have the same father or mother. But he's saying this in a spiritual way, that they're brothers and sisters. They're family, right? Because they're in fellowship with the Son and Jesus. If you go back to Matthew chapter 12, this is the way that Jesus described his disciples, right? While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside, and someone said, hey, look, your mother and your brothers are waiting to speak to you. And he replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and mother. And so what Paul is actually saying is, because of the worldliness that's coming into their thinking and their behavior in the church in Corinth, the celebration of this celebrity speaking culture and tribal loyalties, in a sense, the family of Jesus, the fellowship of Jesus, is actually being torn apart. And that's why he exhorts them as brothers and sisters, I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what I say, what you say, sorry, and that there are no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. See, the church in Corinth, they're not displaying that family unity that Jesus has brought to his people. They're divided because the world has come in, and therefore he appeals to them, look, you need to reflect that familyness, that fellowship, the brother and sisterliness that should distinguish God's people. They should agree with one another. There should be no divisions. They should be united in their thinking, in their living. And so, the church in Corinth was divided along worldly, celebrity, tribal loyalties, but Jesus, sorry, but Paul says, they're called to be saints set apart out of the world. They're called to be, come into fellowship with Jesus Christ, and they need to live it out. He goes on as well to argue. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, this is a all rhetorical questions, right? 
And they all ex expect the answer, no. No, right? So of course, Christ is not divided. He's already said that. They are all brothers and sisters. They're all one family. So they, they're not divided into different uh, tri little tribal units, right? Was Paul crucified for you? Obviously not. Jesus was crucified for them. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. They were all baptized into the name of Jesus. So again, there is only one church, right? One fellowship united in Jesus Christ. There's only one crucifixion of Jesus. And there is only one baptism in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is arguing then that there is no place for tribal loyalties based on following different teachers within the church in Corinth. Because it doesn't reflect the reality of who they are now because of what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. Now, I think this is an important lesson for us because we may not have that entertainment uh, uh, mindset when it comes to Christian teachers as, as extreme as in the church in Corinth, but I think we can still have those tendencies, right, where we let the world seep into our thinking and into our living. I became a Christian in a very, very prominent uh, church in Australia, in Sydney, under a very prominent Christian leader. His name was uh, Philip Jensen, and uh, his church was uh, St. Matthias. Right? So he led one of the largest and most influential churches in Sydney. He was the leader of one of the largest university ministries in UNSW. He came up with the evangelistic track, Two Ways to Live. He set up a publishing arm, Matthias Media. They started uh, the MTS Ministry Training Scheme in Australia. So I remember when I uh, was at uh, university and church, uh, it was like no big deal to me. But then when I started working, I remember one day I met a manager in my office and I, he told me he was a Christian. And I thought, well, this is great, right? Like, there's another Christian at work. It's good to have another brother in Christ at the workplace. So we were talking one day and he asked me which church I went to and I said, oh, I go to St. Matthias. And he said to me, oh, so you're a Jensenite. And I'm like, what? He said, you're a Jensenite. And like, he didn't mean it in a complimentary way. He actually meant it in a bad way. Because he was telling me that, that people from my church, they generally were quite arrogant and proud against people from other churches, other Anglican churches, right? Because they felt superior that their leader was better and the church was bigger. And so they carry with them this worldly arrogance and pride. And I realized this because as I interacted with more and more people, I could see that there were Christians from my church who had that arrogance and pride. And even when I went to a theological college, I could see that. And that's really sad, right? Because that's like the worldly thinking and worldly culture seeping into the Christian living. Even today, sometimes I meet people and then they'll, they'll say, oh, I follow... John Piper, or I follow William Taylor, or Tim Keller online. So if you don't know these people, these are very prominent people that you can listen to online. And so the danger is, you know, just as there are people in my time who would be, would be Jensenites, I guess there are, there's a danger today that there are people today who could be like Pepperites, Piperites, right? Or Taylorites, or Kellerites, right? Or even Singapore, 
You sometimes meet people and they say, oh, I go to so-and-so's church, or I follow so-and-so. But it's dangerous, right? Because you have these loyalties to Christian leaders and you pit them against other leaders. But that's actually not Christian because we're all one family. There's only one uh, uh, crucified Jesus. We're all baptized into the name of Jesus. And we're all meant to be set apart for Jesus in fellowship with Him. So I wonder whether we struggle with that sometimes, whether we have that problem. Now, there's a second problem in the church in Corinth. And that's the problem of boasting, right? Boasting. We can see that near the end of chapter 1, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. You can see that this uh, problem of boasting is kind of linked to the earlier problem with their pride of the Christian leader that they followed, right? But here again was an issue of the world's attitude coming into the church in Corinth. They were boasting. We don't know exactly what the boasting was or why they were boasting, but we know that there was a problem. So Paul then recognizes that there are two interrelated problems in the church in Corinth. This worldly celebrity tribal loyalties, which was dividing the church, and boasting. Now the answer to these problems is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the half, second half of chapter 1 focuses all on the gospel of Jesus Christ. He argues that Christ did not send him to baptize, but to preach the gospel, the good news, not with wisdom and eloquence, right, the focus of which were the entertaining orators, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a foolishness to Gentiles. See, Paul goes to the center of the gospel, the heart of the gospel, which is the cross of Christ, Christ crucified. He says that this is all that matters because it is the power of God. Right? This is what counts at the very end. This is what really matters as a Christian. He says that it's because of God, Him, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. We need to unpack each of these words, right? Righteousness, holiness, and redemption, because they're all super crucial, and they're all really, really important and deep and profound for us. So for God... The crucified Jesus, the cross of Christ, gives us righteousness. What is righteousness? So righteousness is a legal word, right? It's a, it's, it's a judicial word. It's a word from the courts where someone is declared innocent and not guilty before God. So the cross of Christ, the crucified Jesus, is the power of God that gives us righteousness because Jesus pays for our sins. And by taking our sins on himself on the cross we are now declared not guilty before God. Jesus Christ as well is our holiness. Now this word holiness is a temple word. It's a word that comes from Judaistic religion. Right? And it's the same word that we saw in chapter 1, verse 2. Right? It's the same family of Greek word. 
We saw earlier to the church of God, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus to be called His holy people. They're all the same family of words. We have become holy. We are all become pure before God because Jesus has cleansed us of all impurity, all unholiness. We are sanctified in Christ Jesus and from then on we can lead holy lives. The cross is the power of God because it gives us redemption. Redemption is actually a a business word. It comes from the slave markets in the ancient world. You redeem a slave out of slavery by paying a price for them, a price to set them free. That's what redemption is about. And that's what Jesus has done for us at the cross. At his crucifixion, he pays the price to redeem us out of slavery, out of sin and judgment, to set us free. And so that's what Paul says is the gospel of Jesus. It is the cross of Christ, the crucified Christ, which is God's power to give us righteousness legally, to make us holy in a temporal sense, and to give us redemption from a business sense, to set us free by paying the price to make us free from slavery. So if you think about the gospel, what people believe in, what we base our salvation on, then there is no boasting, right? There can be no boasting. That's what Paul is saying. He said, how can we boast in light of the gospel that we have received? But the argument that Paul uses goes beyond just the gospel of Jesus, but the reception of the gospel by the people of the ancient world. He says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. This was a responsive reading that we had this morning. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a foolishness to the Gentiles. Now you notice here, even though the crucified Christ on the cross is God's power to save, it is not universally accepted. In fact, it's rejected by the elite, right? The religious elite and the intellectual elite. We don't know what the people in Corinth were boasting about, but here Paul says it's a stumbling block to the Jews and a foolishness to Gentiles. So the wise person, the teacher of the law, the religious person, the philosopher of this age, the Greek intellectual, they all reject the crucified Christ. Now, this is very important, right? Because it shows us then that this message, which is the power of God to save, is not accepted by those things that people probably were boasting about. To be religious, to be wise, to be intelligent, to be intellectual, to be the philosopher. Now, this uh, carving, you can find it, you just Google Alexa Minos worships with God, right? But this carving is actually uh, a carving which was uh, carved 1,970 years ago, so 
probably around the time of the Corinthian church. And this graffiti, in a sense, reflects the mood of society in its, its rejection of a crucified Christ, right? So you have a human person, which I presume is Alexa Menos, worshipping a human figure with the head of a donkey on a cross, right? And, and the, the Greek says, Alexa Menos worships his God. Now, I guess this graffiti embodies everything that Paul is talking about here, right? That, that here was the view 2,000 years ago by the Jews and the intellectual Greek philosopher that it is stupid, right? It is madness to, to worship a crucified person. Because the cross 2,000 years ago was a symbol of ridicule, of shame, of deep humiliation. Why would you worship someone who was crucified on the cross? And that's exactly what Jesus was crucified for our sins, right? But for the Jew, the religious Jew, for the intellectual and philosophical Greek, this was madness and a stumbling block. Paul goes on to say at the end of this chapter, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standard. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to dullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness and holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let, no, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now I want you to notice something which can be quite disturbing to us, is that God chooses in his sovereignty, right? God chose, chose, chose. But he doesn't choose the things that the world boasts in, the strong, the wise, the noble, the influential. But he said he chooses the weak and the despised and the things that are not. And he does this, right? He says that to nullify the things that are. This word nullify means for something to become nothing, right? to be zeroed, to abolish so God in His sovereignty has chosen not the things that are, the things that are the world is proud of and, and the things that the world boasts about, but the things that, that are nothing. To believe in Jesus because these categories become nullified, right? Or abolished or become zero or become nothing. So what Jesus is really saying, sorry, what God is really doing, sorry, is that through His choices, he is nullifying the categories that the world thinks are really important. Being religious, being wise, being intellectual, being influential, being rich, having power. In fact, he does the very opposite. He chooses the weak and the lowly and the despised. So for us today, what does this mean, right? Can we really boast of all these things? Well, according to what Paul is saying, because God chooses and calls us in this way, He nullifies all these things, right? That the world thinks are really important.
important. Therefore, within the church, within Christian living, there is no basis for boasting because God doesn't choose us because we're rich or powerful or smarter, but He chose us actually because we are nobodies, right? He calls us when we are nothing. So, what do we take pride in? What do we internally or maybe externally brag or boast about? We cannot brag about ourselves. We cannot brag about the categories that the world thinks are so important because at the end of the day, it is only because of God that we are saved. It's only because of God's choice and sovereign choice, which again, we don't know why He's chosen us, that we are saved. So we cannot boast of ourselves. We cannot boast pointing to ourselves. We boast pointing to God, right? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is all done for us, and because God chose and called us, we don't point back to ourselves, but we point to the God who gives us Jesus and the God who chose and called us. In conclusion, I came across this slide when I was looking for something. I think it's a really good, I guess, big idea for the whole book of Corinthians, right? Seeing every part of life through the gospel. I was reading somewhere that uh, there's this writer called Brian Chappell, and he said that sometimes people think like the gospel is like the visa stamp on your passport that you show to the immigration officer on your way to heaven. Some people, you know, that's, like, we kind of think of it as just like this visa stamp. We show it to the immigration officer when we die so we can go to heaven. But that's not what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. We see here in chapter 1 that the gospel shapes and guides and instructs us in all of our lives in the church and outside the church, in our thinking, our living, our hearts and our hands. So we cannot afford to let the world seep back into our lives, right? What guides us at all times must be the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel of Jesus Christ today teaches us that within our thinking and living and our actions, we cannot have tribal loyalties to Christian leaders or teachers because the gospel teaches us that we are all one in Christ. There's only one crucifixion and one baptism. There can be no boasting because... In the gospel, God has done everything. God has chosen us. God has called us. God has saved us. And last of all, only God is the one who deserves all praise and glory. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to examine ourselves. Help us to take seriously your word and to really examine whether all of life is shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the cross and his crucifixion. Dear Father, help us to examine ourselves if we are worldly in having tribal loyalties to Christian leaders, but to recognize that this is worldly and to see that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ because of the death of Jesus for us, which calls us into fellowship with Him. Help us to examine ourselves to see if internally we are proud and arrogant and boastful and bragging of the worldly things, the things and the categories which the world is so proud about. Uh, Riches, wisdom, influence, power, position, status. Father, these have no place 
in the fellowship of Jesus. Hey, Father, help us to see that you have chose us, not because of any of these things, but because we are nobodies. And so, dear Father, help us to, if we are to brag or to boast, to boast of you and you alone for what you've done for us in the gospel of Jesus. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.